want to welcome you to the service today. I believe, God, that you are here expectant. Thank you for making it to the service. And those of you that are still home, I want you to know the environment is safe. Please feel free to come in. We have the chairs properly sp uh, spread out. And uh, we're taking all precaution to maintain distance at all times as God helps us. Uh, we know that God has taken us through this period, but we are not ignorant of the devices of the enemy. So please, unless you have medical reasons to stay at home, feel free to come to church and join God's people. And God bless you as you do so. In the name of Jesus. Thank you to those of you who are here. And I want to say welcome to everybody. Welcome to those particularly who are also worshipping online. I want to welcome you. And we want to thank God we are in the second of our series Eternal Life Now. We started it on Easter Sunday, and God has been speaking to us very powerfully. I didn't get a chance to explain my inspiration behind the background picture of this banner last Sunday, but I just want you to know it shows a bit of fuzziness, a bit of uh, uncertainty, but yet bright light coming through. That's exactly how eternal life is. There is a light that is from heaven that you must comprehend. Despite the fact that you are in the physical and there is a blur between the physical and the spiritual when it comes to you walking in this eternal life. This is the best picture I could find as God laid it on my heart. So, but right now, we have eternal life. Eternal life is not something for us to, to enjoy later alone, even though it is part of it. But right now, right now, for everyone who is born again and sanctified, we are benefactors of eternal life. And so, last week we started uh, by understanding that the very first thing that needs to be in place in living the eternal life is by living the resurrection power. And throughout last week, that was our emphasis. And then today, by the grace of God, we will be looking at how to walk by faith with Jesus. Walking by faith with Jesus. We said there are four things that must be. Now, this is how God laid it on my heart. I'm sure there are more than four things. There are so many things, but I, I believe God wants us to look at these four things that must be in place if you want to be, uh, if you want to enjoy eternal life here on earth, right now. You must live by the resurrection power. You must know how to walk with Jesus. You must know how to work with Jesus, which we'll be looking at next week. And then you must also know how to keep expecting the, the return of Christ. There is a mystery about Christ's return that must be in your heart every day. When we get to that session in a couple of weeks' time, I believe by God's grace, we will be able to see how that fuels us on a daily basis, understanding the mystery of Christ's return. And so today, I just want to encourage us to, again, be attentive and fully engaging with what the Lord wants to do with us. Hallelujah. We established last week that eternal life is God's gift to humanity. Every member of this church must know these scriptures very well. The very first scripture uh, that I would like you to keep committing to memory and understanding is in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. The Bible says very clearly that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Scriptures like this you must know by heart. It's not negotiable. 
because you cannot share your faith with anyone who believes they are self-righteous and they are moral and they are upright if you cannot tell them what the word of God says about humanity. All have sinned without exception and fallen short of the glory of God. But Romans 6.23, and you should find a way of learning these things easily. One is 3.23, the other one is 6.23. So you should just use those tricks to help yourself. Those are some of the things we were taught in, in Sunday school many years ago. Some things to do with numbers. All the scriptures that have 316, 316, you can know them because there are some scriptures that are important, have 316, 316, 316. One other day I will teach you that. Hallelujah. But Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. It now builds on 3.23. The wages of sin is death. Quite okay. That was what 3.23 said. But 6.23 says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So it is a gift. Dying on the cross, resurrecting, is a gift to humanity to give us this eternal life. Hallelujah. And then we said, it's obvious that that is why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. And then Jesus himself came in John 10.10, among many things he said. In John 10, he said, The thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And we say that is also eternal life. So Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, John 3.16, John 10.10, tell a story. And throughout this series, I'll be reminding you of those four scriptures. And very importantly, when Jesus was praying for the disciples in John 17, just before he left, he said in verse 3, and this is eternal life. This is eternal life, not a suggestion about it. This is eternal life that they may know the only one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. This is not one of the ways to eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God and his only son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life starts right now and we are meant to be enjoying it all the days of our lives till we see Jesus even in the afterlife. So we want to look at the second of the key things about walking with Jesus by faith. Walking with Jesus by faith. So to enjoy this eternal life, we must know how to walk with Jesus. We know that Jesus is the word of God. The word of God is our guide and our blueprint. And it should take over how we live our lives. It should become our constitution. It should become our uh, living guide. It should become our manual for our individual lives, for our marriages, for our parenting, for our dealing with others, for our work ethic. Everything you need is in the Bible. It's in the word of God about how to live every aspect of life. Managing your money, how to treat other people, how to relate with your spouse, how to relate with your children, how to relate with, with uh, uh, business partners, how to be a good employer, how to be a good employee. Just name it. Just name it. How to investigate, how to, how to run a church, how to run a business, how to administer things, how to be effective in every aspect of life. It takes walking with Jesus 
for us to be able to do this effectively. Jesus made it very clear when he called the first disciples in the persons of Andrew and his brother Simon and his brother Andrew. When he called them, he told them in Luke chapter 5 and also in Mark chapter 1, we're going to read that now from verse 16. He told them that they must follow him. They must follow him. Mark 1, 16. Let's go together. He said, and as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were what? Fishermen. Verse 17. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Everyone that he met and everyone that have given their life to Christ have been called into a realm of followership so that they can be made into the image of God that God himself had ordained aforetime. Hallelujah. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will transform your life. Walk with me. You see, the problem is that fishers of men want to, fishers of fish want to become fishers of men without really following Christ. It is impossible. You and I cannot use our fishers of fish knowledge and fishers of fish mentality to become proper fishers of men if we don't learn how to follow him, the Lord Jesus himself. He said, it is in your following me that I will make you to become fishers of men. Verse 18 says, then they immediately left their nets and followed him. They took a decision which we must take consistently. That Lord, we will follow you all the days of our lives. Hallelujah. Why? Jesus was speaking after that woman that was caught in adultery was about to be stoned. And God, Jesus came into the situation and rescued her and did not allow anybody out of using God's wisdom to stone her. In John chapter 8 verse 12, he now spoke again to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have what? The light of life. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Following Christ is a significant thing in helping you to walk in the light of life. <laughs> the Bible says, arise and shine for your light has come. Isaiah 61 verse 1. For the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Your light has come. How has it come? It has come through Christ, who is the light of the world. He said, when you follow me, the darkness that is covering the earth and the gross darkness that is covering the people will not be able to stop you or make you walk in the same darkness that is forcing everyone else. The God of this world, we are told in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, has blinded the minds of as many who refuse to believe. So they walk in darkness, they stumble, they fall on each other. But those who name the name of the Lord, living by the resurrection power, must know how to keep following the word so that they can have the light of life and overcome every darkness. Oh, how our world has been plunged into so much darkness in recent time. Oh, how we need to see the light of life. Oh, how we need to walk in the light of life. 
Psalm 119, we don't need to turn to it. Again, some foundation scriptures that you must always remember. Verse 105, it says, That word is a lamp unto my feet and is a light unto my path. It's a lamp unto my feet and is a light unto my path. We say it helps us to see what we need to do immediately. And it also helps us to see how we need to go in taking those medium and longer term decisions. Very important. In verse 130, Psalm 119, he said, For the entrance of that word is what gives me light and gives me understanding as I humble myself. I'm paraphrasing. He says, understanding to the simple. As I humble myself, that word I'm embracing gives me light and then it gives me understanding. Every day you look at the Bible, the word of God, there is something with humility. There is something you will learn from it. It is a living word. Hebrews 4.12 says it is quick. It is active. The word of God is quick. It is active. It is a living word. It speaks to you consistently and continuously. It tells you things about your life that you did not know. And it also tells you things about your life that you should know. And it also guides you. It tells you consistently how to take decisions. It tells you how to react how to respond and, and how not to respond. It tells you so many things. This is why we find that when we don't rely on the word of God and we are relying on sense knowledge, we have tendency to grope into darkness from time to time. But as many of us that are allowing the simplicity of heart to help us to embrace the word of God, we start to find that it gives us understanding every time. As somebody who works in many areas of life as an academic, apart from what God has called me to do in ministry, as an academic and as a consultant for nearly three decades, doing it as God brings it my way, uh, I must tell you, even the word of God gives me understanding in the things that are relating to the professional life, relating to the things that have to do with my academic practice. The word of God can give me insight it gives me insight. It gives me understanding. And so when we walk with him, I want us to be rest assured that this eternal life he has promised us walks in us and it walks through us. I want to quickly, in earlier on in the service today, Pastor Lola read for us Luke chapter 9. We read a few verses from there, 23 to 26, and we read also from 57 to 62. If you are online and you missed that, you can turn your Bible to it because I want to show you five key principles from those verses of Scripture. Of course, Luke chapter 9 is such an exhaustive Scripture. It was one of the Scriptures that, uh, one of the sections of Scripture documented by Luke where God was, uh, where Jesus was starting to prepare his disciples about his death and resurrection. And he was telling them a lot of things. And in between that, he was performing some miracles. But he was telling them that there is something about him that he's going to leave them very soon and that they would be here. But that when they're here, that there will be a cost of their discipleship. And many things there. You can read the entire chapter. It's about 62 verses, so it's a lot. But you can learn of the many things that Jesus said to them there. But we're just going to pick a few things here and learn the principles of developing this effective work with the Lord. Developing the effective work with the Lord. Number one thing is found in verse 23. There must be self-denial and daily consecration. Let's read Luke 9.23. Can I have that on the screen? Luke 9.23. Then he said to them, thank you all, 
If anyone desires to come after me, look at what he said. Let him deny himself, number one. Let him take up his cross daily, number two, and then follow me. Now, many times, many people skip the denying himself, taking up his cross daily. And this is important. If anyone desires to come after me, let him follow me. That's what many of us want to do. And he said, if you are going to get to following, you must learn how to deny yourself. You must learn how to take up your cross, not once, not twice, but what? Daily. Every day you wake up. Give us this day our daily bread. You are taking up your cross as well. It's not just praying for, for things to happen to you that day. Pray for breakthroughs. As you are praying for breakthroughs daily, take up your cross daily. He said, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So the very first thing is there must be self-denial and daily consecration. There must be self-denial and daily consecration. Self-denial does not mean that you are living in delusion. Or that you are, like the world may want you to put it, may want to paint the picture that you are living a life that you are denying reality. That's not what self-denial means. Self-denial means that you are totally yielding yourself and giving yourself up to him and saying that, Lord, it is no longer I who live, but you, Christ, that lives in me. So I will do what you want me to do, not what I want to do. That's self-denial. Whether it's convenient or not convenient. I will pray, not because I want to pray, but because you say I should pray. That's self-denial. I will not eat today, not because I don't have food to eat or I don't want to eat, but because you say I should not eat, I should tarry and wait on you. That's self-denial. I will forgive, even though this is not an easy thing and this person should be told off and even completely uh, told off by me because of what they have done to me, but I will choose to forgive and even ask for their forgiveness. For being, even though they are rude to me, I will choose to do so because you ask me to turn the other cheek. That's self-denial. I will keep loving my wife even though she doesn't seem to be somebody who cares about the things that I am doing for her and, and I'm just trying my best to keep loving. But I, I will keep loving not because I don't have a right to tell her that she's misbehaving. That's self-denial. I will keep submitting to my own husband in love because I, I, even though I can see that he's a child of God, but he's the way he's going and the things he's doing and the way he carries himself is very difficult for me. But I will keep submitting, knowing fully well that it is commanded that I submit in the wisdom of God to him. That's self-denial. When we deny ourselves daily and none of those things as I've said now, none of those things cause for abuse whatsoever, either by the man or from, by the woman. It is abusive when you say you have to submit to me, regardless of your irresponsibility. That is an abusive man. That's not what I'm talking about. And it's abusive for a woman to say, well, every man is commanded to love their wife. This is who I am. If you like, take it. If you like, don't take it. See your head. <laughs> That's a foolish woman. That's not self-denial. That is arrogance and pride. I'm talking about where situations where there is godliness, there is an intentionality to walk in the, in the spirit of God, evident in both husband and wife, but yet from time to time there seem to be those things that come in and it makes it look difficult. Self-denial means we submit to the spirit of God and allow the word of God to take preeminence. That's self-denial. 
Daily consecration means that we are constantly on a daily basis, and this is daily, this is daily, 24-hourly basis, every day, there must be a prayer coming from you to say, Lord, sanctify me, separate me unto you. The word consecration means anointed to be separate. It means that you are separated unto the Lord. It doesn't mean you are wearing one big cassock and having one big headgear and then they give you a pole and they say you are now bishop consecrated. <laughs> that's not what it means. So people, when they hear consecration, that's the picture they see. No, it simply means you are a chosen generation, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, you are a peculiar person. And you must constantly walk in the knowledge of that because you are consecrated. Hallelujah. A couple of days ago, His Royal Highness uh, Prince Philip passed on, and the whole world was stunned by it. Why will one man affect so much of the entire human race, whether they like it or not? Why will one man? But because royalty has been defined in that family, in the earthly realm, and people respect that royalty, they respect that office. You are a royal priesthood. On a constant basis, your life affects so many. You must understand why you need. He said, let him take up his cross daily. The cross of Christ is the so many things that he represented for us. The shame, the reproach, the standing. He has taken away those things, but every apparition of it, every manifestation of it that will come again, if they called him the prince of the devils using Beelzebub, if somebody calls you the, the, a wicked person and calls you names just for standing for righteousness, not because you did anything wrong to them, but just for standing for righteousness and truth, then you must be ready. One of our, bro uh, our brothers here helps us to boost some of our posts. And uh, he boosted, a couple of times he's boosted, I don't know whether you've seen those comments, he's boosted some of our messages to audiences outside. You know, Facebook has a way to, when you, when you do a boost, it has a way to send those messages to people who may not necessarily be interested, but he sends it to them anyway because it's paid for. And you see all kinds of comments of hate, people who don't want to hear about God. And the more I read those messages, the more I bled. And I kept on praying as I see their name and saying, this is nonsense. Go and uh, this is some people will put all kinds of pictures there. If it's very obscene, we delete it. But I left every other comment there. For us to see the heart of many people today that they are far from God. Now, if you don't understand, your ego and your pride will make you think, well, who are these people? I'm telling you what will save you. That's how I used to preach as a 19-year-old. I'm telling you to be saved. You argue with me. Who are you? <laughs> That's the way I used to end my evangelism when I was 20. Huh? Look at this person. I would say, look at you. <laughs> you want to go to hell? Go, go, go to hell now. <laughs> I don't have time for nonsense. <laughs> I'm telling you what will save you. You argue with me. Okay, go carry on. <laughs> that was the end of my message as a 19-year-old. Until God showed me. He said, if Jesus preached like that, none of us would have been saved. <laughs> none of us would have been saved. But now when I see those messages and I see people cursing and people angry and say, we don't hate, I hate God. There is no God. And those kind of comments, I, I take their name as his day. I say, Lord, touch this your son. Because for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. I wanted to put a comment there. 
at a point. Holy Spirit said, no. He said, you will turn it to a personal attack. It is not a personal attack. It's an attack against me. <laughs> I wanted to put a comment there to say, don't be vile here. This is just a message of love. This is just a message to say God loves you. I, nothing. I wasn't going to write anything more than that. The Holy Spirit said, no, don't write anything there. If you write it there, you turn it to a personal attack. It's not a personal attack against you. It's an attack against me. Let me take control. So I said, Lord, this is, I'll call the first name. Take care of his life. Speak to him. Some of those people are crying on a daily basis. Some of those vile comments you see is a reaction of a cry from the inside that is looking for solution. But it's masking itself in human pride and arrogance and refusing to submit. But part of why we die and take up our cross daily and we take up the cross daily is so that we can handle things like that, like he handled it on the real cross. Hallelujah. Number two, there must be reliance on divinity. There must be total reliance on divinity. Friends, we must know God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you are walking with Jesus, you must understand this. Most believers don't even know how to pray. They pray to the Holy Spirit, pray to Jesus, pray to... They just mix it all up and say amen. Now, thank God for his mercies, but we should grow and understand. The Trinity, they are one. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but they are one. But we must know how to depend on them. Verse 24, Luke 9, 24. He said, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. For whoever loses his life for my sake, my sake. This is Jesus speaking. Whoever loses his life for my sake. In Colossians 2.9, the Bible says, For in him, the one talking, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So anytime he says, for my sake, he's talking about the Trinity that dwells on his inside. The Trinity that he came to represent. The word that became flesh carries the Trinity. If you desire to save your life and do it by your power, by your strength, by your grace, by your own, uh, sorry, strength, and rather than his grace, he said, you will lose it. But if you forget all that and take it for his sake, he said, you will save it. Verse 25 says, for what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? What does it profit a man? If he does that. And you know, this, you know the funny thing now? Many people do not understand that the biggest question in the heart of many people who want to understand God is in understanding the Trinity. I was born in northern Nigeria in Kano where it's predominantly, it's been predominantly Muslim for a long time, almost 100% Muslim at a point. But with time, we had, we've had converts, we've had churches planted by the uh, evangelical missions that first came to Nigeria in the early 1900s, churches that have been planted in that city till today that are still thriving and saving souls gradually. So it's happening, but it is one of the most Islamic strongholds of, of Nigeria. And I've had a lot of friends growing up. I still have many of them as my friends. 40 years later, we're still friends. We still contact each other from time to time on Facebook and those kind of social media. And they're still Muslims. But I know one of the biggest problems they've always haggled is the fact that God has a son. We can talk anything. We can talk science. We can talk travel. We can talk Dubai. They like those kind of things. We can talk anything. The moment you say the son of God, you touch something. And I kept asking myself, why does this thing bring so much sensitivity? Why does it shake and rattle nests so much? Why does it make people so uncomfortable? Even here in this country, 
you can say God, people will agree with you. Because God, G-O-D, means many things to many people. But the moment you say Jesus, he means only one thing, the Son of God. And that is where the problem is. That is where the issue is. This God who has a son, for some, it's a taboo. For some, it is a denying of the power that is vested in that son. He says, so lose all this, your mentality, for my sake. That's what Jesus said. You want to walk with me? Lose all this, your sense knowledge, for my sake. And then come walk with me, because you will save it. Very quickly, every believer must understand that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. Say, it's my comforter. It's my teacher. It's my guide. He brings me to Jesus the word. He makes me understand the word. And Jesus Christ is the son of God. The only way. Shout it. The only way. The only truth. The only life. No one can go to the father. Except by him then you can easily see how the Father sits. Everything points to the Father. That's why Jesus never said, when you pray, pray Jesus. He said, when you pray, pray what? Our, our, who art, hallowed be, his name. Thy kingdom come. That we, everything about the Father. Everything points to the Father. But Jesus Coming as a son of man has been given a name above every other earthly name. So that every one knee, every one tongue must keep confessing his lordship because for them to come to the father, they have to come through him. The father takes no entertainment from anybody whosoever in requests if it doesn't come through Jesus. He sheds his mercy upon mankind. He gives his grace for salvation for everyone to be saved. But the only time he hears anyone is when they talk to him through his son. Why? Because he sent his only begotten son to die for humanity. So a rejection of that great gift does not qualify anyone to talk to the father. Some of the very hard truths of our time our postmodern world, our relativism world, that says, what is your truth? My truth is Jesus is the son of God. What is your own truth? My truth is that Jesus is a prophet. Okay, we're all, we all together. We're not together. <laughs> I love you with all my heart, but we're not together. We're only together when you believe with me that Jesus is the son of God. I don't hate you. I love you. I respect you. I... I I, I just I appreciate you as God would do. But the truth is that we must continue as those who have named the name of the Lord. We must continue to proclaim the fact that our total reliance is on the divinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I believe you now know how they are distinguished. The Holy Spirit is doing his work here. Guiding us, comforting us, teaching us. Every time you open the scriptures to read, the moment you start reading the word, the Holy Spirit comes. The Ethiopian eunuch said, how can I, unless some man understands, he explains, he explains it to me. But as soon as you open today, you don't need some man. 
You need the Holy Spirit. The work of people like you and I and other brethren who teach here from time to time is to keep showing you where you can open up, where you can open up some more. So that after, some, after now, you go and open up. When you open up, the Holy Spirit comes. As you are hearing now, the Holy Spirit comes. He teaches you some more. Hallelujah. And the person of Jesus is the person that you need to understand because he's the word of God. So you walk with the word. You look at his mannerism. This is how it, what it means to follow him. You look at how he responded. You look at how he carried himself. Jesus never begged anyone for anything. When he needed a donkey, he said, go get it for me. Not because he was an arrogant person, but because he knew that he was the master of all supplies. A believer must understand this. When you live your life as if, you know, you are just like anybody else begging for this today, not knowing this tomorrow, confused tomorrow, that you are living, you are, you are making a, a mockery, God forbid, of that great gift in eternal life. Let's learn how to walk with Jesus. Hallelujah. So there must be a total reliance on divinity. Number three, there must be boldness in expressing our faith in him. There must be boldness. Verse 26. Luke 9, 26. We're going through Luke 9 from 23 to 26, and then we'll skip to 57. Verse 26 says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his fathers. You see his father talked about again. And the holy angels. There was a man who used to fight against Christians, and he was... He was very well spoken in terms of he was very fluent and had big oratory skills. He was a South African man called Ahmed Didat. Ahmed Didat, I think he has died. I haven't heard from him in a long time. He has died now. Ahmed Didat was sound. He knows, he has read the Bible more than any Christian on earth. <laughs> Before you quote a verse, he will quote for He was a Muslim man, an Islamic scholar. But if you quote one verse for him, he will quote other translations you have never read. He will say, do you know the AGT? You say which one is AGT? So you see, you don't even know. That is the Anglian great translation. <laughs> I'm just quoting that. There's nothing like that. But he will, he will quote something and then he will quote you what that verse says in that translation. This was in the 90s, 80s and 90s, when there was no internet like this. I wonder how he had time, if not the devil, <laughs> teaching him what the Holy Spirit should have been teaching him. He will argue with Christians to the point where they will have no more defense. One of them was beating hands down. He said, well, Ahmed did that. I cannot give you an answer to that question. But you know something? If you continue like this, you are going to hell. <laughs> the man was frustrated. <laughs> the man was really frustrated. Ahmed did that. will argue scriptures and tell you. He said he had never seen where Jesus Christ referred to God as his father. And then I came across this scripture. I said, why on earth did no Christian ever tell Ahmed that that scriptures like this existed? Where he said, when he, the son of man, first he said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the son of man, talking about himself, will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angel. There are many scriptures, but of course this is one clear one where Jesus Christ talked about God as his father. Of course, in John 17, he said many times, he said, you should pray to the Father. In Luke, uh, in, in, in uh, John, uh, Mark, Matthew chapter 6, he said, pray to the Father like this. And so many places. But what I'm trying to say here is that we must understand that we must be bold. He said, don't be ashamed of him and his words. 
Don't be ashamed before people. He said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes into his glory. May God not be ashamed of you and I. May Jesus Christ not be ashamed of you and I. There is a very subtle attempt today for the enemy to make believers ashamed of what they believe. You must break out of it. It is a spirit. It hides itself in political correctness. It's a spirit. It hides in itself in, in workplace ethics where you are not allowed to share your faith openly. It is a spirit. It hides itself in the so many things that look so okay and look so normal. But believers must understand that it has never been easy for as many who stood for the truth. It has never been easy for as many who stood for righteousness. Some believers can post anything on their social media feed. But to write the name Jesus, their, 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 their fingers will be shaking when they want to type it on their screen. <laughs> because they are afraid of what people will say. Jesus said, don't be ashamed of me. You have resurrection power. Don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Let man take whatever they think they can take from you because you stand for Jesus. If Jesus does not give you something better, then let him, let, let him not be God. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm not ashamed of him. Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.16. It pushes me to the final day. Don't be ashamed. Be bold. The people, when they were threatened not to speak again, when the church was growing in Acts chapter 4, they were threatened, no speak again in that name. The Bible says they prayed in Acts chapter 4 verse 29. The Bible says, and they prayed and they asked for boldness. Because that's what you need. Under the threat of the enemy to stop being godly or to become ashamed, that is what you need. Boldness. And then God gives you wisdom. God gives you wisdom. I want you to know this very well, that unless you learn not to be ashamed of him, you see, let put up that scripture again. The Bible says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, are we there? Luke 9.26, of him the son of man will be ashamed when he comes into his own glory and his father and of his holy angels. In our series to come next month, we will talk about the ministration of angels again. We've done it before. We'll do it again by God's grace and God's leading. But you know something? He said that his father, listen, when Jesus was praying, he said, when Jesus was talking, he said, do you, not, do you not know that I can pray that my father will send a legion of angels? It is in his power for you to enjoy angelic ministrations every time. Now, if you are ashamed or if a person is ashamed of him, what he's saying is that you rob yourself of the father's action and of angelic ministration. Angels come to those who stand for God. That's why angels came for Peter. Angels come to those who are not ashamed. That's why angels came for Paul and Silas and broke everyone's bands. Angels come for those who seek to be bold to declare this world. That's why they are not easily killed. Angels come for those who stand for truth and righteousness. That's why they are not easily stopped. They are not easily discouraged. Angels are dispatched. Psalm 91 says, for he will give his angels charge over you. They are your bodyguards. They stand with you. They go with you. They do things. 
for about three years, I drove to Coventry from Walsall here to Coventry every day, Monday to Friday, except I was on annual leave when I was working there, three and a half years, Coventry and Birmingham. And for those years, these were the years 2006, 7, 8, and 9. And for those years, I tell you, there were many days that I knew I was asleep on the steering. Please don't go and do it. Don't go and try it. Don't say, Pastor has given me liberty. Now, anytime I want to drive and I'm feeling sleepy, I will just get in the car. Please, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. I had to be driving. I didn't have a choice because I needed my car to work. Otherwise, I would have been using the train to go. But the reality is that I can tell you that at least 30% of the time, I was very, very sure that for many miles, many miles, I didn't know how the car moved from one point to the other. I can tell you that without, without a doubt that angels drove my car many times. Because I was serving God, I would wake up 4 a.m., leave my house in Bilston, and drive to Wolverhampton, do one-hour prayer with the elders of the church, and then set out when we finish at 6, 7 at times. I would set out to start driving. And many times I've only slept at 2 a.m. I've only slept at 1 a.m. Doing church. I was not the church pastor, just one of the elders. Not just, but by God's privilege, one of the elders. But the reality is that I was tired physically. So when I got on the motorway, many times I find myself, right now I'm passing Junction 8, and I'm praying, and I'm happy, and I'm singing. And then before I knew it, I opened my eyes, and this is me exiting Junction 4A. And I'm exiting. I'm not going straight. <laughs> if it is not angels, you come and tell me what it is. Because I knew it wasn't me driving. I knew clearly it wasn't, unless I want to be lying to you. He will give his angels charge over you because you are not ashamed of him before men. Learn these things. Your resurrection power is not just for you to go and be saying, I'm born again, I'm saved. It gives you boldness as well. I use and deploy every ammunition God gives to me to preach the gospel. On my social media feed, if I have any accomplishment by God's grace, in academia or something professional or something family, things that people love. I put it on because I'm always putting on messages. So I put it on. You see loads of people will come to those messages, but the one that is talking about what will save them, they will, they will escape it. <laughs> they will skip over it. Even believers, <laughs> they will see that one they will not touch. But they will call me like Nicodemus. They will call me a week later and say, Brother Dave, that message last week, that you posted. I say, which one? That clip that you talked about this, it really touched me. Or they'll put something in my inbox. You're hearing me online, I'm sure. <laughs> they'll put it in my inbox. And they'll say, it really touched me. And then I go back over the scroll. I say, but this man did not click like on this. <laughs> Somebody say, Nicodemus. <laughs> night preacher. Night, night preacher. <laughs> Nightcrawlers, that's the word I'm looking for. Nightcrawlers. I said, ah, this man, the way he talked, that he touched him and he preached it and everything. And I go to look at the feed, no sign. Not that he did not comment, even the like, he did not touch. <laughs> they existed in Jesus' time. That's why you read John 3. The first man to hear about being born again was like that. Does it not occur to you? Does it not shock you? 
The first man, all of us quote John 3, 3 today. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born. The first man to hear those words was a night crawler. Thank you for that word. <laughs> that is why I'm not annoyed with them. But stop doing it. Show the like there so that we... <laughs> Show the like there so that we know. <laughs> At least like. You don't even put comments. <laughs> but I've learned a long time that since I saw they did that to Jesus, they will do it to you. I'm not frustrated. When I get there and I see only five people say like, I know the many other people that used to call at night and do inbox message. And not only that, I know those that did not even call, that did not do anything, that are also following. Because the way social media works, everything I post, that's why if it is something to do with family holiday, people like those kind of things. They like to see you by one beach in uh, Miami. We, as soon as you are posting it, they say, hey. <laughs> but you say Jesus saves, they run away. <laughs> they like to see you enjoying and doing those things. So for me, I try to get them to see that. If you like seeing me enjoying, you must like hearing my message. And thank God for Mr. Zugabog. Once you click the like of one person, anything he posts, you will be seeing it. Whether you like it. <laughs> I pray for that man every day that God will keep him and his algorithms for us. So that everything you post, they will be seeing it. Because I've learned that there are many Nicodemuses. But many Christians will not understand. We get frustrated with these things. There are people who are following because you are following. Don't give up. They may not tell you. They may not show you. But they are following. So give them something to follow. <laughs> give them something to follow it doesn't matter if they are not signifying openly give them something to follow let them see that God is faithful and may God continue to help us all in Jesus name be bold brethren there's nothing to be ashamed of in this gospel in the year 1994 I joined a firm in Nigeria I was very young I was barely 25 and a half 25 ish just planning to get married. My wife and I had met a couple of years before. And we, when I got this job, it was settled for us that, that we, were, we were going to get married. Within a year, we got, in December 95, we got married by God's grace. But you know, when I joined that firm, the eldest person there, our boss, was only 37 years old. A 37-year-old man controlling millions of dollars. Very proud guy, and they were all very randy. All of them, their wives were not with them. It was like a site. You know, engineers in Nigeria, we moved from site to site. So they were all living in the north, in Katsina, in Nigeria. They were building a dam there before I joined them. So the dam project had just ended. A new project was about to start, and that's one of the reasons they engaged me, because they needed somebody who had a structural engineering background but could also do water resources. Anyway, that's how I got involved, by God's privilege. That's another story I will tell you some other day. But you know something? When I joined the firm, as I said, I was 26, 25, 26. We all had drivers. We were living the fast life. And there was money everywhere. You go on trips, you made thousands of naira those days. You flew everywhere. We were all. And I started to bring my message when they wanted to go and party. I said, no, there's no chance for that and things like that. And then obviously the boss turned on me. He was not happy with me because I was like a spoiler. Somebody say spoiler. <laughs> I was one of the UP guys, but I was a spoiler. He didn't like me at all. So he turned up the heat. 
He turned up the heat and it was obvious. Everything I did was wrong. He was not happy. It was obvious that it was the devil was walking through him to frustrate me out. But I never stopped. One day, my wife, then my fiancée, traveled from the town in Zaria she was schooling and came to town. And I told him, I said, this man really wants me out of here. He doesn't want me to be a part of this company because of my stand for Christ. And you know what my wife said? She said, let's pray. Let's pray. He said, and we got this anointing oil. He said, and we, we prayed over it. And together, anointed myself. She joined hands with me. Break. I came for break in the afternoon. I went back to the office. As soon as I went into the office of the man, I said, hello, sir. When he saw me, he said, Dave, I've been looking for you. <laughs> I don't know what he has been looking for. I don't know where he's been coming from, but that day was an icebreaker. Everything changed. Two years from that point, I was traveling with him all over the world. We came to London here. The partners were fighting him. How can you take an engineer with you to a trip when partners are all over the place that can fly and represent the company? He said, no, that's the man that will go with me. Because by that time, he had started following me to church. All the members, all the young guys, all the engineers who were hot-headed then, because Oga, the boss, has started going, everybody did not have a choice. Everybody fell in. When I marched into our church, Living Faith Church in Katsina those days, you can ask these stories, they're real. The church is still there today. When I mar- and some of the members who are there then are still there today, you can find them on Facebook and type and say, Pastor David said this story today, is it true? Ask for some of them who were there, 96, 97, 98. When I walked into church, all our engineers, about, at a point, about eight of them with their wives, we joined the church together. Standing for Christ never takes you down. It rather takes you up. I want you to know that this is very important. When you walk with him, continue to be bold. Keep expressing your faith in him. And today, all of us are much older now, and uh, we relate across the world, and we thank God for those days. Every one of them having established, being established in their faith to the glory of God. Number four, there must be a willingness. Quickly, verse 57. There must be a willingness to be inconvenienced. Verse 57 said, now it happened when they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 58, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I want us to understand the meaning of that scripture. It didn't mean that he was a poor man. Because when I was growing up, this was the scripture used by people who wanted to preach poverty out of scripture. See, Jesus said he didn't have a way to lay. Hey, that, that, that is a misinterpretation of the word. What he was saying is that he doesn't need a permanent fixture. He doesn't, he doesn't work like you and I. He doesn't need a place that, must, that he must lay his head to call his own. Because what? Everywhere is his own. You should clap for Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't have nowhere to lay his head because everywhere is his own. Why? The Bible says, Psalm 24, the earth, verse 1, is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's why when he said, get me the donkey, it was his. It was only tied in somebody's house. That's why when he said, catch the fish, the first fish you find, what is in his mouth? The coin, because it was his. Hallelujah. 
Believers must live like this. We live our lives in total abandonment to his hands, knowing fully well that he can place a demand on anything we have at any time because they are his. We must be ready for inconveniences. Inconveniences are part and parcel of scripture. They are part and parcel of the uh, eternal life. And every one of us must understand, whatever God takes from you, that means he has a better one to give to you. Don't hold on to anything. Hallelujah. Yes, let's give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. Don't hold on to anything because, you know, it looks like it. When I was to leave this job I told you about in the year 2000, it looked like the best thing that could be happening to a 28, 29-year-old is the best job you could have at that age. Like I've told you many times, my wife and I were living the life. We slept in places like Sheraton in Nigeria, Nikon, Nuga, Hilton Hotel. Those are the kind of places we went in Abuja. We buy meat and just enjoy life with guys. We were, and we were all Christians, young drivers and people to take care of us. This Toby that you see, at times I don't see him for like two days because there were people all around who would take care of him. I would travel this, come back. And I would, you know, it was just life. But God said to me, leave all that. I'm taking you out of your home country to minister my word in a unique way. When I look at what they were going to pay me, 500 pounds a month. <laughs> that was Nikonuga yielded <laughs> one night in a, in a presidential suite, those days. And that's what I was coming here to earn. When we got here, I gave my wife 20 pounds. And I won't cry, I promise you, Brother John. <laughs> I gave her five pounds. I gave her five pounds to go and cook soup for us. Because that's what I could afford. When you have 500 and you have to pay rent and pay those, you can't pay more than five pounds for soup now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, we started like that. Because our lives are reckless. All of you better get set. Better get set. All of you looking at me. If he tells me today, say, Brother Dave, pack your bag now. You are going back to Kano to go and do church there. You will just hear one announcement the same way. I say, all you guys, <laughs> God bless you, carry on. We'll be talking on the internet. I'm gone because I will never be where he has not asked me to remain. Never. You need to understand, inconvenience is part of it. But everything you let go for him, you will definitely gain in this life and in the life to come. In the name of Jesus. The last thing I want to say is the fact that he told us in verse 59 to 62 not to let the past hold us. There must be a letting go of the past so that you can embrace your kingdom assignment. Verse 59. Then he said to another, follow me. But now one said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And then verse 60, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Verse 60, verse 61. And another, verse 61 now. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. <laughs> and Jesus said, let's read verse 62 together. This, if you have not remembered anything in this message, remember what Jesus said here. Everybody want to go. But Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. It's very simple counsel. Keep looking forward. All the stories I've told you now, they are good stories. I look back at them, draw strength. But I've, not, I've, I've left that life many years ago. This is today. And then tomorrow is what I'm looking at. There were brethren, lovely brethren, who were here three years ago, four years ago. Today they are no more here, and I still love them. But you know something? I'm looking forward. 
Looking forward. The kingdom is about looking forward. The Bible says we should be looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set where? Who was for the joy that was set before? Where? Before him. Before him. Before him. You are looking back too much. That's why you don't love your wife again. You are looking at, you are remembering Susie from 10 years ago. <laughs> you are still remembering Julie. Julie is history. <laughs> you say, Julie used to cook better than this one. Hey, okay, why didn't you marry Julie 10 years ago? <laughs> or oh, you are remembering Bobby. Some women, Bobby. Bobby, ah, Bobby. Oh, Bobby used to be nice. Valentine, Bobby will bring flowers. Bobby is dead. Go and bury him. Let them bury him. He's dead. Stay with your, okay, whatever his name is. Let me know. <laughs> if I call one name now, and they say, ah, you've told Pastor my story. <laughs> so I'll not call any name. But if you are chasing Bobby or Susie, go and forget about them. They are buried. They are buried. This is a big problem in marriages today. People remembering their old girlfriend. And today of, of, of social media, is even very easy. Because you see her picture. If it is tormenting, you better stop following or unfriend her. See, Kai, this girl is still beautiful. Hey, hey. <laughs> this girl is beautiful. You are looking at fire. If you touch it. <laughs> see, let me just inbox her to tell her you are still looking beautiful. Hey. <laughs> Rise to your feet and let's stand. Where, where?